Hi, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. Today's episode is a really wonderful conversation with Abbott Miller. Abbott, of course, is a partner at Pentagram, where he leads a variety of exhibition and publishing projects. But Abbott is also a really good writer and has published essays in publications like I and Print and ID Magazine. One of the reasons I was really interested in talking to Abbott is because, uh, you know, on a sort of surface level, it would seem like Abbott had left the writing side of his career. And, and we talk about this in, in our conversation. But what's interesting to me is that as a college student, Abbott and his uh, now wife, Ellen Lupton, used writing and criticism and theory as a way to, as Abbott told me, uh, quote, fight the banality of graphic design. And, you know, it's not that he's not interested in this now or that he's not writing now, but it's that he's found a way in his work at Pentagram to truly seamlessly connect these interests in design and research and writing and theory. And it all manifests itself in the actual design work that he does. And this is something that I obviously find really inspiring and interesting and is really what this podcast is all about. And so we kind of pick that apart a little bit in in what I think is a really interesting way. We also talk a lot about how he started writing in his early career, how exhibition design brings together all of his interests. And we talk about the writers and designers who have really meant the most to him and influenced how he thinks about all of this. I've gotten to know Abbott a bit over the last few years while I was studying here at MICA in Baltimore and really enjoyed this conversation and learning more about his background and how he thinks about this relationship between design and writing. And I think it's something that you'll enjoy as much as I did. So here is my conversation with Abbott Miller. I kind of want to start, I was, I was thinking about the things that I wanted to talk to you about, and I was thinking about your career trajectory. Mm-hmm. And I, so I kind of wanted to start filling in some of the gaps in that that I haven't been able to, you know, to, to piece together. Sure. Um, so I know that you went to Cooper Union and right. studied graphic design. Well, at Cooper, there was sort of famously never a sort of single track for graphic designers. Okay. okay. So at Cooper, there was a lot of promiscuity between the different <laughs> right. sort yeah. of avenues that you might take. And only one of them was really, I mean, there were courses in graphic design and typography. Right. Okay. But... A lot of people took them, including artists who really had no okay. interest in becoming professional graphic designers. So it was really more like a medium or a tool. Okay. And so, you know, a lot of people would graduate with a degree in, you know, uh, it was just a BFA. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, but some of them would have a very strongly graphic design oriented BFA. Yeah. Others would be printmaking and graphic design. Others would be film and some just pure okay. art. Right. So, okay, that's kind of what I was curious about is because I had read somewhere that you, would, you were interested in sculpture or yeah. some more fine art. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really went back and forth in my time at Cooper. I kind of entered thinking I was going to really be sort of focused on art. Okay. And then, you know, that was from having already decided as a, as in high school that yeah. I was going to be a graphic designer. <laughs> Oh, so I kind of went through this sort okay. of uh, flip flop, yeah, and and then it was 
film, and then it was back to sculpture, then it was back to graphic design. Okay. But nobody cared. Right. Because you know? <laughs> you're just taking courses, and although your personal identity is yeah. constantly, like, shifting, and, mm-hmm. you know, at great, there are great stakes in your personal definition. Right. Okay, so this is interesting. This throws off some of the gaps that I was trying to fill in, because I, I had thought that you went in thinking fine art yeah sculpture and then kind of discovered graphic design but you knew before that 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 was something you were interested in yeah i'd done like a summer session at parsons oh okay when i was in high school and that's how i found out about cooper because from the vantage point of indiana there was very little awareness of schools in new york city so i'd never heard of cooper and then i found out about it everybody was talking about applying and um, I felt like, you know, when I was taking this course in graphic design at Parsons, that was actually really very conceptual, had a great teacher. It seemed to like click for me yeah. that like graphic design was serious and interesting. Um, but as I got into Cooper, I kind of yeah. thought this isn't enough. <laughs> what was it about about graphic design at that young age that, that grabbed you? I think, I mean, part of it was feeling like there was, that I had a kind of responsibility to myself and to my parents to actually have a viable, like a career. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it felt sort of like cra- crazy indulgent to go to New York to study sculpture. <laughs> you know, <laughs> at the time I just felt like, God, I got to get something yeah. like out of this. And it's yeah. sort of, uh, sort of interesting and sort of sweet to re- imagine myself thinking that that was the responsible choice at that time yeah, but yeah. i did think about it that way um and and yet it was also like even in middle school i was doing logos and oh kind okay. of things that were really graphic design so it wasn't an alien thing to right. me and uh it was it was interesting too it wasn't just pragmatic yeah yeah that's interesting that's very similar to actually my own background i as a kid uh, would make logos and would go to like grocery stores. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom would take me to grocery stores and I would then come home and try to recreate the all the signs that I saw <laughs> right. there and had no idea that that was a thing until, yeah. you know, 15 years later or something Yeah, like and I remember doing, you know, uh, basically display lettering. Yeah. It was like a big kind of preoccupation. Interesting. Um, that lettering was as interesting to me to illustrate as drawing houses or anything. Right. So when you so when you're in school now and you're taking kind of all these classes and all these different fields, mm-hmm. how were those talking to each other or how they weren't? I mean, okay. largely they weren't. I feel like the graphic design program at, at Cooper at that time was pretty conceptual and really strongly rooted in typography. Okay. So in terms of the rest of how design might have been taught in other schools, it was pretty conceptual, pretty arty. Oh, there's a, okay. there's a famous class at that for a long period there called the Art of the Book, okay. and it was basically artist books but with good type. Oh, and so for me, that that was, it was still a different island mm-hmm. than what was happening in the film classes or in the painting classes, or I took a lot of courses with a um, political sort of grandfather political art Hotaka. Okay. Oh yeah. And there was violent disagreement between a lot of the professors. And you had this sense of people kind of almost vying for your soul, you know, like almost kind of pulling you in their direction. Yeah. yeah. 
it was pretty exciting because it was sort of like it was a bit of a war. Yeah. <laughs> so did you did you have to decide while you were there that graphic design was kind of the you the you thing? didn't except that to advance and to do more sophisticated courses you had to do the prerequisites. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. But nobody was waiting for you to sign off. It was more just like you had this feeling of, you know, this crazy fantastic professor named George Sadik. You had this sense of him feeling like you had betrayed him by, you know, not taking <laughs> right. that class right. and right. instead doing the class in Hans's class. And, Interesting. You know. So where did, I'm curious where the kind of, uh, let me step back, I, and I'm projecting a little mm -hmm. bit onto what I think of you and what I think of your career. Yeah. Um, but you have a, uh, you appear to have a deep interest in kind of the theoretical side of design also. And, right. and uh, uh, a lot of your work is kind of very rooted in critical theory. Yeah. I'm curious where that found its way into. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because when we were at Cooper, we were, you know, in one small building right next to the architecture program. I mean, the architecture program was like on the third floor. <laughs> and they had this incredible, it was like a hothouse of theory, history and such a deep history for architecture okay. and I remember feeling kind of jealous it was like well we have art history classes but they're not really connected to design yeah which they weren't um, but look at the architects are having these explosive you know uh, confrontations in their critiques they're having you know Jacques Derrida come and talk right. to the students uh, Peter Eisenman and it was sort of this funny thing like we've got to have some theory too. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, so really we, we meaning me and Ellen, um, started to really look at like, well, what are the other ways in which you could connect what was happening in theory to oh. graphic design? And, you know, we started to think like, this is actually a lot closer to graphic design than it is to architecture. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, the, I think there was a famous show, I forget where this is in the big trajectory, but the, there was a show on deconstructivist oh, yeah. architecture at MoMA. And really a lot of the sort of deconstructivist thinking was really rooted in a lot of pure language, but also typography and kind yeah. of graphics. And yeah. so it seemed like that was sort of a way to almost hitch graphic design to those other things going on. That, this is so interesting to me. I have a couple of questions kind of based on that. Yeah. What was it, my, my first question is kind of, what was it about seeing those architects or those architecture students talking about this that you were so attracted to? And did you have any interest in that before? Or was it kind of just you were close and you were seeing it? I think it was the vitality of it, that it was sort of a, you know, you could argue a, a sort of practical pursuit of study, but that there was this bigger implications yeah, all around yeah. it. And so there was a th attraction to that idea of a richer, deeper kind of okay. uh, context to work mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. And a fear almost of what you could call the banality of graphic design, like, right, oh, it's right, just graphic right. design. And, you know, at this point now in my career, I don't think of it that way at all. And I think actually the, the, the field has changed dramatically. Yeah, yeah. So, but at that time, there was a little bit of a sense like, well, will this be interesting enough? Because it was so maligned well, by the graphic other, design. Graphic design was, yeah. was sort of so maligned by 
you know, the kind of people who would look askance at it and belittle right. it, even right. within Cooper, it was sort of oh. like, you know, the, the graphic design could be portrayed as they're selling out or right. it's boring or it's just for clients or whatever the, right. whatever right. the rap was. Yeah. It felt like that was almost the threat. And yet we kind of felt like there's much more to it. Like this is language. This is typography. These are ideas. They're incredible traditions like the history of the book. Um, So it felt unfair to actually say that it was just commercial. Right. And was it, I I don't know how to phrase this without it kind of sounding weird, but it was, was it kind of just basically you and Alan kind of finding and discovering this? Was there a general sense I think among that, your classmates? I think that we there was a certain point where it felt like, indeed, we were talking to each other. Okay. <laughs> Very much. But yeah. there were really smart people in our class as well. It's just that that idea of an almost academic relationship to the topic yeah. was sort of unique to us. Ellen's sister was, you know, studied uh, literary criticism at Johns oh. Hopkins and then at Yale. She was kind of a conduit for us as well. That makes sense. Um, And so it wasn't like it was going around in our circle. It was more like the two of us kind of trying to build this up. We also had amazing humanities professors at Cooper. Um, One was a brilliant film theory guy named Mm. P. Adam Sidney, who had done a really influential book on experimental film. I had Robert Breer as a film teacher and film theory was actually this whole other thing that was like completely related to graphic yeah. design and the idea of kind of film as a language. So we got excited right. from all these angles. Um, and, you know, the political people in the school were using, right. basically using the tools of graphic design to critique corporate right. design or corporate communications right. and big business. So it was sort of... There were all these all facets these yeah. going on that built that that made it clear that one could build a kind of interesting intersection between the professional yeah. kind of definition of graphic design and the sort of intellectual traditions that it could annex. Right. So I mean, I, I don't mean to to date you or or <laughs> put a date on this, but something that's always been interesting to me is how kind of in graphic design history in the kind of mid nineties, there was this big kind of explosion of this type of discussion. Right. I'm trying to kind of situate kind of your discoveries in that. Um, I'm terrible with time and that whole period is really sort (laughs) of a blur, but it's, it was happening all through there. And there were, there were these different kind of um, camps that were, interested in theory, interested in developing kind of a, the, even just the discourse around graphic design history. Yeah. So Steve Heller was actually um, editing the AIGA Journal of Graphic Design and okay. was really influential just in inviting me to write something. Like, okay. You know, like yeah. suddenly saying like, okay, do you want to write something? And he also did the modernism and eclecticism right. conferences which suddenly there was like, oh, there's a forum for writing and presenting on yeah. mostly on design history, but it could easily, you know, veer over into doing more critical writing. I did a piece for one of those conferences on uh, stock photography, which was not so much history as 
a kind of analysis yeah. of, of the way stock photography is, is structured. So this was my next question was I was curious kind of where you started writing or how did that, yeah. kind of how that started. Right there. Okay. <laughs> because I was really, um, of course, doing writing in school. But then after school, I was working for Richard Saul Werman. Oh, yeah. Who was the publisher of a series of guidebooks. And I... I decided to work for Richard because I was on one of my anti-design okay. phases when yeah. I directly after graduating from Cooper, and um, okay. Ricky was just then moving to New York, okay. and I thought like I didn't this know is... you worked yeah for yeah him. for about four years I did yeah. not know that he was um, he was provocative he came to Cooper and he was very I, you know looking back it was sort of like almost a sort of um, in your face, yeah. you know, kind of refutation of the niceties of what graphic designers get wrapped up in, very outside the sort of good design, not good, but just sort of... Yeah, the he classic. Wasn't, or yeah, he wasn't interested. It. He wasn't Rudy to Herrick. He wasn't mm -hmm. M and Company. He was mm -hmm. this guy who had an interesting premise about you know, structuring guidebooks by, you know, how a street is arranged and what you have, right. what you see on a walk. Yeah. Um, and I just was attracted to almost the anti-position. So I worked with him as a design job. It wasn't really all that satisfying because it yeah. was highly formatted. But I worked on this crazy book for the Museum of Modern Art that was published okay. by him, which I later learned what there was a reason it, it never came out. It's because <laughs> all the curators had banded together to block it from ever seeing the light of day. Oh, wow. Um, and as you can imagine, like the idea of a guidebook to the Museum of Modern Art put together by Ricky Worman. Yeah. You know, yeah. they just, they, they weren't having it. Yeah. And so That's we're so sort of stupidly working behind the <laughs> scenes. Like, why are these meetings just continuing to happen? And we never get to actually, like, no one will respond. <laughs> right. But I, so I did that for a while, worked on a, a couple of projects. And then I started writing. Okay. actually for Ricky developing book proposals um, and some of his talks. And it was oh. quite interesting because I was sort of like this sort of person who was doing some design, but also doing some writing and that, you know, and then working sort of with, with, um, with some of these opportunities, beginning to write for Steve Heller, starting to do these talks, starting to teach design history at Parsons Oh. Um, and then it, you know, it was building into like sort of an interesting way to actually yeah. start entering the field of writing about design. Um, and then I entered, a uh, our history program at, at city university. Oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah. And I, you know, it was a PhD program in art history. They were totally up for having, uh, having me focus on graphic design. That wasn't the oh, issue. And I did probably uh, two and a half years of coursework and I was running my studio and I suddenly oh, was just intense. like, I can't, yeah. I can't do this all very well. Right. Um, and meanwhile, we were actually doing like the writing and the research and the interesting projects that, yeah. and I realized like, I'm not, I'm not really going to be like, I don't really necessarily see myself um, teaching the history of design or design theory professionally. Okay. And I kind of just, 
I just came, I went and left the program. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> major, major disappointment to them, yeah. I think. Um, yeah. That's, just, that's intense. Yeah. I did not know that whole. Yeah. Well, Ellen was in the same program. I so didn't, yeah, uh, I didn't know yeah. that. So there's this whole, this whole like. There's a chapter right, in New York that's right, sort of like, yes. That you slice. Yes. So this, this sets up a couple of you know, basically a lot of the things that I was kind of interested in, in talking to you about. Had you done much writing, you know, kind of outside of school papers and things before that? No. Or how did that, I mean, no. kind of, how were you feeling about that? And did it come easy? No, it, it never came easy. It still doesn't come easy. I think it's, I'm much more sort of fluid in terms of design i was always more comfortable in the seat of the designer than the writer okay um i have a kind of um i'm i'm totally committed and interested to, in writing but it's not a happy event yeah yeah <laughs> and i, I don't what, think any writer would really say oh i'm I really know. happy when yeah, i write i know but exactly what you mean it's it's more painful ellen is you know it's just like you know i'm not saying that it's not difficult but it's fluid for her yeah. she can take a little you know 20 minute episode and you know go right. through things right. and i'm still sort of sharpening my pencils <laughs> right right um but i i love it and it's there's probably nothing more satisfying than actually you know feeling like you managed to articulate something yeah um but yeah. i i'm a funny writer like i have a lot of a lot of sort of verbal ticks in my writing and so I kind of I write and then I have to really go back and look at it and really critically and yeah. kind of like try to get out the verbal right. <laughs> the speechy right. parts so did you so that this is this is funny because I was gonna I wanted to ask you about kind of um I'm gonna skip around a little sure. bit of the order that I was thinking I wanted to ask you kind of about when you're talking about kind of verbal ticks the thing I agree with you 100% about writing being design is where I'm comfortable, yeah. but I'm very committed to, you know, being able to call myself a writer, yeah. basically. <laughs> yeah. um, but the thing that, that I feel like I struggle with a lot is, uh, you know, what is my writerly voice? Mm -hmm. And it's those same things where I have these, I feel like I have these certain ticks and these certain yeah. turns of phrase yeah. that I use. And then there's other times where it's like, well, this just sounds like anybody could have written this. And kind of finding that balance, yeah, yeah. to me, is one of the hardest parts. Right. Do you, how do you? How did you kind of think about that when you were... You know, I don't know if I've really... Um, I don't feel like I write enough that I have to really be so conscious of what my voice as a writer is. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about d design writing research mm -hmm. in that period, because that's something that's very interesting to me. And I don't actually... I know... I obviously know the book right but that also was a studio yeah um, which one of those came first well the studio really um well it's hard to exactly right. say the yeah. studio came first but we ellen was uh working at cooper union uh with this lubalan oh, right, study right. center this archive so her first job out of school was as a curator of a graphic design right. collection at that time, no one really understood what being a curator was. You know, it's sort <laughs> yeah, of yeah. everybody curates now. Um, right. But at that time, it was pretty exotic. Um, and so she was doing that work, which was sort of sort of a dream job for her, really. Oh, okay. um, I was working with Ricky Werman. Okay. Okay. And uh, 
I think her job seemed to be the more satisfying, exotic one. But we started kind of uh, collaborating on external projects, basically freelance work, yeah. that would give us opportunities to, to do our interesting versions of what graphic design could be, which were often, you know, very, you know, very small, very esoteric, very kind of usually more academic. Yeah. We designed an issue of Visible Language, the oh, journal okay. together. Yeah. We did posters for literary theory, okay. um, conferences <laughs> okay. at yeah. Yale. Um, we worked for a, a, something at, up at Columbia. So they were these kind of, um, looking back on them, kind of very thoughtful and visually pretty dry usually. Oh. <laughs> um, kind of like forging what we thought of as kind of an experimental approach to graphic design. Yeah. Very literary, very conceptual. And um, this was very conscious. Like yeah. this is the type of practice you were setting out Absolutely. to do. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. We really sought out those things. And they were the kinds of things that you wouldn't take to, you know, a normal design right. studio. And they were, you know, fairly marginal in terms of impact. But we started to develop these kinds of projects and we decided to give that project a, a title like it was a freestanding studio I see. called Design Writing Research. We used it as a credit on several projects. And then... Oh, like Design Writing Research by... Well, yes. it was, it was yeah. like a name. It, yeah, was like yeah. our, it was like a band. Right, know? right. <laughs> Design Writing Research was the band. We were okay, performers. I see. I see. Um, and that became, like, after working with Richard, I got a, 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 a kind of retainer fee from the New Museum for a year. And once I got that, I'd been working, doing small projects with <laughs> yeah. art galleries. Um, once I got this retainer, which was like no money at all, but it was a promise of right. what I could live on. Right. I thought like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to really open my own studio now out of my apartment. Yeah. And I did. And it was called Design Writing Research. Okay. As soon as I did that, like the sort of like projects materialized and suddenly I hired someone then I got a space outside of the of my apartment yeah then I had three or four people working mm -hmm. with me and it's kind of been that way ever since like yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I have a pretty small team at Pentagram and it really in many ways it's like there's a certain um there's a certain sort of number of people and right. projects right. that I can that I feel comfortable with yeah and so it's really been kind of a funny trajectory of starting small and kind of staying small. Yeah. Was, I don't mean to be too reductive here, but I'm curious about that name design writing research and the fact that you have those three words and those were the name that that was like that umbrella. Yeah. Which to me says a certain importance to the writing and the research that oftentimes designers, you know, just that's a blanket statement, but right. maybe don't take us seriously. Um, what, what was your kind of thinking about the writing and the research and how is that playing into the work you were doing now as a studio with clients? And yeah. Well, I think, um, I think when we, when we chose that sequence, um, it was sort of about putting design at the beginning that design could actually drive writing uh, and research, which was a little bit like of an inversion of the typical 
thought might be that you, you know, you, somebody does some research and then it turns into writing and then it turns into design. Right. And the design as kind of like a final frosting on the cake. Yeah. yeah. Um, we were sort of saying, well, what if you thought about <laughs> yeah. design as actually driving those things? And it, you know, huh. whoever thought yeah. about it enough to appreciate it, that was the idea was also just that it was almost like a process reductive process right. yeah. you know name for yeah. the studio yeah um so i think that 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 sort of it summed up what we thought it was a, trying to be a bit of a manifesto name yeah um and it was dry and kind of uh geeky yeah yeah I, i'm i'm so embarrassed that i've never thought about the order and as soon as you said it i was like oh well that's that was so sort interesting of like that that's where our kind of that's why we sort of thought about the idea that if you started, that design is actually a, a sort of sense-making thing that could live in the mm -hmm. driver's seat yeah. and actually may for a lot of people, you know, in terms of framing a project. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. and I think it was just this idea that please don't, don't tell us that design is really just like waiting for other people to author things. Right, right. <laughs> you know, like coming right. to designers just to do that last bit of presentation. Right. I mean, I, I actually had written down, I'm going to be that person that reads back something that yeah. you had written. Um, I think this is in your, your design and content book, actually. But you, you say that uh, design is not a passive presentation of already cooked and digested ideas, but a critical tool capable of creating its own insights. Yeah. And... I mean, those are your words, right? I feel like that really is a framework for your entire career in a lot of ways. That yeah. kind of sentence. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think a lot of the things that I was drawn to in early writing were examples of, you know, other designers, other projects, other areas where you kind of had the sense that someone was starting from sort of design insights yeah and you know a, an example that just comes to mind is like there's an incredible book by Irving Goffman on gender advertising and it's oh. basically a, a you know a collage of of basically contemporary media I think I forget the year it was published but it's a kind of catalog of poses. And this is an anthropologist yeah. who's sort of like looking at the visual, you know, visual production yeah. of, a, of American culture and finding within it this sort of inventory of poses. And to me, that was like a really interesting example of, you know, the, he's looking at design as an artifact and then drawing conclusions right. from that, right. from that research. Right. That's just a, I don't know why it came to mind, but it... That's really interesting, though. The idea that design is is that, you know, is capable of framing a project like that is yeah. really, really yeah. interesting to me. I'm curious how, how things like that and how kind of building a, a practice as a designer and someone who's writing, how, how those influenced each other? You know, how did writing it how did being a designer who was writing a text kind of change how you yeah. thought about writing a text or then vice versa someone who could write an essay was that changing how your design your design process or how it manifested itself yeah i mean i feel like um a couple of contradictory things okay. one is that um 
when when I was actually truly doing the research and the design, the research and writing on a lot of these projects, the appetite for like doing something really radical visually was it was sort of always a frustration actually mm -hmm. as a designer of my own content right. i was not necessarily more adventurous um and actually oh. when i was in the role solely as a designer i actually felt a lot freer formally and a, huh. a you know classic for me is when i was given a you know a bunch of pictures to do a, a magazine about dance, I suddenly felt like, okay, like it was sort of thrilling not to be so kind of connected to the content, but actually to almost feel like I'm here to perform with images yeah. and text. And it was sort of an interesting realization that you have these attachments to what you've written or researched and then you kind of feel, I felt a little more passive when it came to actually presenting it because mm -hmm. I was like already had my fingerprints all over. Yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but when I was actually less involved in the development of that content and I realized that my client wanted me to kind of perform as a right. good designer, um, yeah. make it interesting visually, then it was sort of like, oh, this is great. So I actually felt liberated by a lot of the work I was doing with, um, in, in dance and performance yeah. because it wasn't my discourse. It wasn't my business. And I was coming to it in a almost purely formal way. Right. The, that perfectly leads in. I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of present day and not, I didn't want, mm -hmm. I didn't want to only talk about kind of the work that you had done, you know, 20 years <laughs> That's ago. Great right? to hear. <laughs> um, but, but something that was interesting to me, and I have a couple kind of questions around this, but you you're kind of, I, I, this is such a oversimplified statement, mm -hmm. but your kind of public persona as a designer now, for lack of a better term, is you don't do much writing or, you know, speaking and mm -hmm. that kind of discourse. And you're, you know, very much a designer. Designer. Right. Um, and I'm curious, was that a conscious decision? Was it kind of just a natural I th evolution? I think that I have become so immersed in being a designer and have felt a little bit estranged from kind of the theory and writing aspect i kind of want to get back to it i'm teaching okay. a class at cooper in the fall and i'm really curious to like oh, enter that yeah um kind of framing a lot of ideas that are sort of I take for granted now. They're part yeah. of the way I think. Yeah. So I'm kind of looking forward to externalizing it with a new audience, new generation. Um, and I do want to return to more writing, but it it's not as though it's sort of like a totally conscious uh, staying away from it. But I find that a lot of the issues, a lot of the concerns are just... I feel like really technology has really swept aside mm. a lot of what made that early work really vital. Um, a lot of the discourse has just become really organized around right. technology and it right. doesn't interest me much. Does do the discourses from then are, do they still play a, do they yeah. still influence the work that you're doing today? Yeah, do think? I think they do. I mean, I don't know if people see it within the work, but I feel like 
um, you had asked like how did how did being a designer and a writer and sometimes a researcher how did that influence <laughs> what I do? I feel like the the work that I do, especially with curators on exhibitions, is very much informed by the role of having been a, a curator on yeah. set, many projects that I've done. So I think that it's more just understanding the capacity and the sort of role of the writer or the curator mm -hmm. that is, you know, sort of making me a better partner to right. the people yeah. that I work with. Um, so a lot of the things that I've done that are, you know, I feel like fully invested in the projects that I've done as a designer, not really feeling like, God, if only I could get back to writing. Right. Um, yeah. I do, you know, I would love to work on a, a project about exhibition design that I see yeah. is a book. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I'm not pining to like, you know, publish again, uh, I think I will. Yeah, but it's yeah. just it's really taken a back seat to actually just doing work that I find interesting. Yeah. Does you you had started answering this already? Um, but I'm kind of curious how. You know, you had mentioned that so much of the discourse now is about technology. Yeah. I was curious, kind of, what other as somebody who has kind of participated in the design discourse in a lot of different uh, kind of capacities. Yeah. How has that changed? over your career? What are things that are kind of happening now, you know, that designers are kind of talking about that, you know, you wouldn't have imagined? Um, I don't know that it's that dramatic. I think that what, what I think is kind of interesting is that the, a lot of the early kind of positions in design really revolved around sort of aesthetic positions, mm -hmm. which is really interestingly no no longer it's right. it's almost quaint these idea of kind of like um even the sort of style issues yeah. that animated a lot of those discussions and the idea of kind of like east coast versus west coast right. those are all dissolved yeah yeah you're <laughs> um, right actually and so it kind of i think that the broader cultural issues are have kind of swept aside a lot of what made those debates like very local to graphic design. Yeah. Um, and so we all live in a kind of a media environment now that's sort of right. much more shared. Like our graphic design <laughs> debates were inc incredibly narrow right. when, when I was younger and when right. they, there were such debates. Um, now I think, you know, I think what Ellen is doing with her exhibition on sort of multi-sensory design. Oh, yeah. I think there is this kind of um, desire to kind of go to other levels beyond sort of the way things look or even, you know, right. interface right. Um, right. design to really think about this sort of multi-sensory yeah. person, yeah. this multi-sensory receiver. Um, and I, I love all that because my work in exhibition design has really been right. all yeah. about a kind of bigger framework for for the designer to work within. Yeah. I mean, and it's something that has come up again and again in, in these other interviews that I've done is, in kind of how it's changed is that, you know, when you were, when you were having these discussions when you were in school and, and you're talking about it being very narrow and now a company can kind of redesign their logo and there'll be a story about it in 
you know, the New York Times or yeah. Fast Company. Fast Company, right. Um, does that change? Does that does the fact that there's now a kind of general audience um, awareness of graphic design and of work that you're doing, does that change how you think about your work at all? I think it changes the way clients think about the work that that the, the work they may be undertaking. I'm okay. I'm doing a project now that's for a very very big organization, <laughs> okay. and I think that it's been fascinating to kind of um, work through the sort of expectations of uh, basically social media yeah. and public perceptions around um, changing a, a sort of a, an existing mm -hmm. identity. Um, and so I think that, that, you know, the phenomenon of the gap redesign right. or right. Um, whatever, whatever recent design <laughs> crisis, identity crisis has happened, um, has instilled a greater wariness on the part of, of, oh, of, yeah. of clients, of companies. Um, but I, I think that it's actually a good sign. I think it, this kind of accountability and uh, sensitivity and awareness of the, the validity of design, that design does matter, is actually mm -hmm. a, a good thing. Yeah. Um, the kind of sophistication and literacy that has emerged around graphic design seems to me really positive. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you can have your problems with the way people um, respond instantly uh, to, to a redesign or a new logo, but actually it's sort of an amazing thing that people give a shit. Yeah, 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 exactly. What are things or subjects that, this is a question that I've asked everyone that I talked to. What are the things that designers should be talking about today? Or you know, what are the kind of critical what are the what are the things that designers should kind of turn their criticism towards right now? You know, I'd love to hear your interpretation of what design criticism is because okay. I I really yeah. do find that that's sort of a mystery topic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where do you see it happening? Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> you're the first person to ask me that, actually. And it's, I feel like my own definition of this has evolved over mm -hmm. the last year and a half now. And I, I, I'm even hesitant to even use the word criticism now. And the, the thing that I've kind of arrived at is, um, and, and this is why I asked you the question, because you started talking about it already, is that design graphic design influences so much of the world and that's kind of what design criticism should be talking about mm -hmm. and should be looking at not just the formal aspects of it not just the um you know company x redesign their right. logo let's do a before and after and talk about you know the kerning and yeah. or the color choices but kind of the whole system around which these things are created and and how they're put into the world uh, and so it's, you know, why did the company re redesign their logo? What does this mean? How is it being received? Mm -hmm. And that it's kind of for designers. Yeah. You know, I think it's something for the profession to be kind of talking about and thinking about. Yeah. In that we can't, uh, I'm about to make a couple of very kind of broad statements that I don't know if I can fully defend, but that we kind of can't always be looking at design history to tell us how to 
do things today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as much as I love, you know, Paul Rand and all of his logos, we should be questioning, is that way of designing a logo still what makes a good logo right, today? Right, right. And kind of constantly redefining our processes and, yeah. and the work that we do and how it's kind of functioning in this world. Right, uh, right. And so that discourse is kind of how I would, or the types of design criticism that I would like right. to see. And we're, I mean, that sounds like something that you might, if it had a place, <laughs> you might find it in I yeah, at, at yeah. one spec end of the spectrum and design issues at another end of the yeah, spectrum yeah. or Harvard Business Review, you know, right. in another. Right. So yeah. I think that the, um, what I, what I, what I, think would be interesting is if design criticism actually made it a little more into a mainstream territory yeah. and i think there are it happens sometimes with fashion and architecture yeah yeah and i think that, that that's super exciting to me when people are talking about design in these these forums i think what you're describing is a little more inside baseball but i think it's possible yeah just as you can read an incredible architectural review yeah um you can imagine that people can handle it they can actually go through the launch of a new brand and talk about it in a in a way that was actually journalistic and kind of insightful and right you know all of those things that you expect of awesome journalism about architecture yeah yeah um so i think that you know i I, a magazine that I'm obsessed with is Architectural Review in London. Oh, yeah. And it, that's like what I want from, you know, out of my dream for a kind of yeah. good discourse in yeah. graphic design would be Architectural Review for graphic design. Um, yeah. Because, you know, it just pumps out amazing stuff that is both reviews of current practice and architectural um, theory, um, urbanism. Right. It's amazing. And it's like, I don't know if it's monthly or every other month, but I'm always astonished by how good it is. Yeah. Issue after issue. I feel like, I feel like architecture has definitely mastered the mastered is a strong word, but definitely have figured out the discourse around what they do both for the profession, but then also for a general audience. I think that's a great example. And that's why I thought it was so interesting that architecture back when you were in school is kind of what, what attracted you. I always think of, um, uh, Herbert Mouchamp writing in the New York times about architecture for a general audience, very specifically, very, uh, literary, funny mm-hmm. you know very accessible but also was really dealing with a lot of yeah and i think i think that's sort of what is the exciting part is that people don't realize that they're actually kind of engaged with design criticism because they're actually just fascinated to be reading this guy's yeah you know yeah. text about yeah. about a giant building that just went up and i mean a lot of that that interplay of being able to kind of tuck these critical insights into the review, you know, someone wants to know about this building mm-hmm. along the way, they're getting a really rich kind of um, channel of information that's about sort of the ideas behind it. Yeah. And I feel like we don't 
often get that level of analysis about artifacts of graphic design or even exhibition design. Right. Um, you know, I've been doing exhibition design for almost my whole career and rarely is yeah. the design of an exhibition even commented on. And it's sort of frustrating to me because right. it's one of the ways that both institutions and curators voice their perspective on mm -hmm. the material. Mm -hmm. um, and yet it goes, yeah, you know, yeah. apart from a little like lovely design or something, you know, yeah. there's, there's yeah. very little that looks at the way the work is presented as part of the, the sort of editorial or curatorial right, perspective. Right, right, That was, I mean, I have two more questions, sure. but that was something that I was interested in in talking to you about, just kind of briefly about the your work itself being a type of critical activity or your work itself yeah. being a type of authorship yeah. and that you don't need to kind of take your design theories and put those into a text, but you can actually manifest yeah. themselves yeah. in your work. Is that something that you are kind of thinking about and when you are designing an exhibition how much of your kind of view on the things that you're that are being shown do you think are coming up in, in your design work i think the 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 curators that i've worked with are very interested in what i bring to a project and just as i'm interested in what they're working yeah, on yeah um and i think that idea of the kind of reciprocity is really key, you yeah. know, and I'm, I'm talking about, you know, a, a curator named Donald Albrecht, a curator named Eileen Gallagher, um, curator named Maurice Berger. These are all people that I've worked with and it's sort of this incredible dialogue that you develop and a, a kind of a shorthand. Yeah. And they're, these are people who actually anticipate that design can actually help make the argument, make right, sense right. of the materials. Even when they're articulated well, the idea that the hierarchy that exhibition design brings to content is really amazing. You know, yeah. that it's a kind of a, it's another way of writing. And yeah, I think that yeah. that's what, um, that's what's been common to my experiences, both for myself in, in d designing exhibitions that I've curated, but also kind of being in the designer's seat, working with someone who, who's already developed right. ideas. And I think that that's, um, if, if I had to point to something I think is a unique territory for myself, it is exhibition design because of that Interesting. almost broader, broader sensory environment, bigger, like working in a physical space. Yeah. Dial having a dialogue with architecture and space and people's right. experience, sound, motion, you know, it's yeah, sort of all yeah. there in a way that if you compare that experience to designing a book, mm -hmm. a book is so single channel, single scale, yeah, um, that it makes exhibitions, you know, just yeah. obviously much more exciting. I mean, it's I didn't even I, I didn't even make this connection until right now, but it, it brings in your interest in sculpture, yeah. I think there's certain uh kind of filmic qualities yeah. to an exhibition that you had mentioned you were interested in mm -hmm. film theory and then playing with space and kind of authorship it all is in yeah. exhibition design actually. yeah and it's it's really an interesting medium to me because of that and i also you know have 
such an, a love of architecture yeah. that it's almost the graphic designer's version is exhibition right. design. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it, I also love that it's temporary, you yeah. know, and I, I mean, I love the fact that the books that we design are still around, but there's something I intriguing about the ephemeral nature of exhibition design. And, you know, if you go back to the avant-garde's, I think some of the most exciting work that was done was about exhibitions. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, they're, they're tropes that we still work with and, and right. use. Yeah. Um, and really, a lot, you know, Herbert Beyer um, really thought of exhibition design as sort of a cousin yeah. to advertising yeah. because yeah. it was persuasive. And what made it persuasive was that it was environmental. Mm. Um, so mm -hmm. this idea of kind of... Um, the sort of immersive space, spaces that exhort people, it's very weirdly connected to kind of propaganda because yeah. of that same modernist history. Um, but That's it's really fascinating to me that it's it's sort of the Gesamtkunstwerk for graphic <laughs> yeah, yeah, designers, yeah. you know. That's interesting. My last question is completely different. Yeah. Uh, and it's a two-part <laughs> question. And it's I think it's fairly simple and straightforward. I had found as I was kind of thinking about what I wanted to talk to you about and was researching yeah. and reading a lot of things that you had written and interviews you had done, I'd found a, a list of books that you would recommend. And it was Derrida and Foucault and <laughs> uh, Barth and Rosalind yes. Krauss. Yes. And so I, a two-part question. One, I'm, I'm interested in kind of who are, who are the writers or, or the books that have influenced your own design thinking mm -hmm. the most? And then the second part is, who are the writers or books that you recommend the most to, you know, other designers or people who are kind of interested in these same ways yeah. of thinking? I think, um, I don't know if he was in my list originally, but the book that really opened my eyes to like an expanded sense of design, both criticism and history was uh, Adrian Forty, who mm. wrote a book called Objects of Desire. And I've heard of this. It was, it's an amazing book for kind of, in a funny way, folding in social and cultural issues into design so fully that it almost is like, you know, it's not a straight up like history of design. It's yeah. actually all these other factors that influenced, for example, hygiene and mm. the role of hygiene in the development of products, households cleaning products interesting um and it was very influential for us because we ellen and myself when we did a history of uh, the kitchen and bathroom oh yeah which was very much uh you know inspired by the work right. of adrian forty but kind of focusing on the american context as opposed to the british okay um so adrian forty's book to me remains like a really amazing benchmark um, Penny Spark was a design okay. historian who, oh, British design historian also, who was a big inspiration for work in a very similar vein. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, when I think about books that are, you know, Rosalind Krauss is very special to both me and Ellen. We did m many courses with Rosalind Krauss oh, at the university. <laughs> okay. Um, she's a true mentor um, and kind of a, um, uh, Interesting to us, both for the work that she had done on surrealism and photography, um, but also incredible. The, her book, The Optical Unconscious, okay. is brilliant. 
um, the work that she did on minimalist sculpture oh, um, yeah. is equally amazing. And she was an example of a, a kind of critic who was almost, I mean, the work was uh, really approaches art. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, her writing about art is for me, art um, right. and sort of goes, although not in a self-conscious way, but absolutely, uh, mesmerizing brilliant work um so the other people that i wanted to mention just in terms of who i think are uh are really interesting and in a funny way it's not literary in any way um <laughs> is um uh, bernard radovsky who is a know. sort of fascinating designer who worked for um worked in many different disciplines across his whole career he designed exhibitions, he designed books, he designed clothing, okay. um, he designed footwear, um, but he also curated a ton of exhibitions, um, oh, okay. some at the Museum of Modern Art. Um, but he was kind of like a interesting freelance intellectual, you know, engaged with design. Yeah. To me, oh, he's such I've a never great... never heard of this person. He's such a great role model <laughs> for designers now just because... It was this kind of, he's a polymath who actually just went where his mind took yeah, him yeah. Um, and did brilliant work um, all across those fields. Um, how, you know, and an incredible international career as well. So there's a couple books by him and a couple books about him, but he's absolutely a fascinating kind of, um, yeah, like a, I wouldn't even call him a Renaissance man just because. <laughs> The, like it's not like he you just have to look him yeah up. i always get mad when someone gives a name and it sounds this interesting and i've never heard of this yeah person yeah before. he's not well remembered um but he um he's incredible yeah. books exhibitions okay. product design architecture totally amazing yeah. guy um, and then Bruno Minari. oh yeah of course who i think everybody yeah. is, has a really strong awareness of but I find that that kind of condensation of yeah. poetry and almost, um, yeah, it's pure poetry to me. Yeah. And it has this way of being a meta, meta commentary on design. Yeah. Um, those are, I think, you know, those are kind of some heroes of mine. Yeah. Apart from people I, you know, really directly studied with, um, with incredible people throughout my career. Yeah. Thank you so much. You. This was so fun. Yeah, I, I really fun. enjoyed this. Thank you so much for talking sure. to me. This episode was recorded on April 30th, 2017 in Baltimore, Maryland. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud and at ScratchingTheSurface.fm. Thanks for listening.